opening and closing theme is by Midnight Syndicate. For more dark instrumental music like it, visit www.midnightsyndicate.com or find them on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or Alexa. True crime stories are discussed in this podcast, which may contain graphic and disturbing content. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Freshly Brewed Noir. I'm Summer. And I'm Jennifer. And we have episode 34, Adolfo Constanzo. And it's a cult episode. Which I'm really excited about. Ask and you shall receive. I know that we talked about doing one last episode. We did. So is this about multi-level marketing? No. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So you said cult episode. I just figured it'd be multi-level marketing. I feel like they're the same thing. I mean, isn't there a whole documentary about what is it? The leggings. <laughs> All these ladies got into it and it became the TikTok so... leggings. <laughs> I don't think it was TikTok <laughs> leggings. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I'm not surprised. It starts with like coffee, makeup, anything you can really no. not a lime out of anything. A coffee cult. That would be a good one. Oh, wait, we have one. That's right. (laughs) If you want to join it, let us know. I mean, we're always accepting applications. We have six participants right now. We do. They have secret names because this is a cult. (laughs) Yes. And I think, (laughs) didn't we decide on our alien names too? Oh. (laughs) I think I decided on uh, Zandos with an X. Okay. And then I was Zayna because I like the name Dana, but I had to give it an X or a Z, right? Yes. To make it more alien-like? Is that how it goes? Or cultish? Exactly. Okay. Yes, you're right. So you're Xandos? Yes. <laughs> Not to be confused with Thanos. Okay. No, we don't Although you are powerful, and... but you're powerful. You snap your fingers and you get stuff done. We try. <laughs> this coffee cult, we do. <laughs> but, so we're taking it to Mexico. I love this it. This episode. I used to live very close to Mexico. We would drive there and have tortillas. <laughs> Well, you did that in San Diego anyway. <laughs> but we would literally, my parents would drive us across the border and people would be outside on these skillets. You would get these fresh buttered tortillas and it was just delicious. What would you put on the tortillas? Nothing, just butter. They would put butter on it and they would heat them up on the skillet and roll them and then they would just... Butter tortillas? They were so good. Yes, it was so simple. Oh, interesting. It was delicious. Well, Speaking of delicious, we just had our crumble cookies and fruit salad for recording. So we are on a sugar high. I don't know what I liked better because Jennifer's mom made this Filipino fruit salad. It had all kinds of goodness in it. It had what, mangoes and I jellies. was like, don't be scared. It's green, but it's delicious. I'm never scared of green. <laughs> <laughs> it's your favorite color. It's money. It's lettuce, <laughs> which is also called money. <laughs> It all leads back to money. It all leads back to money. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So are we ready for this? Yes. Multi-level marketing, cult episode. I'm sorry. Cult episode. (laughs) Ready to go. All right. We'll learn what uh, he was marketing. (laughs) Very shortly. (laughs) So Adolfo Constanzo was born on November 1st, 1962 in Miami, Florida to Delia Aurora Gonzalez. She was a Cuban immigrant and gave birth to him at the age of 15 and would eventually have two other children all with different fathers. After her first husband passed away, she moved to San Juan, Puerto Rico, and remarried. While they lived in San Juan, Aldolfo was baptized Catholic and served as an altar boy at his church. Although they were devout, he would also accompany his mother on trips to Haiti and learn about voodoo and the occult. She partook in what is called Palo Mayombe. I've seen this practice referred to in sources as like black magic and necromancy and witchcraft and some would state they believed his mother was a witch and if you angered her it wasn't uncommon to find headless goats or chickens 
on their doorstep in the morning. Wow. Okay. Well, I have some ancestors that were witches, so I probably would have been friends with her. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Something to note, Apollo Mayambe is often referred to as Santeria's evil twin. And if you haven't heard of Santeria, it's an Afro-Caribbean religion, but more specifically Afro-Cuban. The roots of the religion originated from the Yoruba people in West Africa and made its way to Cuba during the Spanish slave trade. Because of this, the slaves were forced into Catholicism, which resulted in the combined terminology and concepts of Catholicism. Santeria is a closed religion, meaning you have to be initiated in order to take part in it. So practitioners worship and communicate with spirit guides, spirits of the dead, and orishas, who are similar to saints or demigods that watch over humanity, and each has a dominion over a portion of nature. It's a fascinating religion. Sounds interesting. Sounds a little bit like Greek mythology. I guess in some way, like all religions kind of have the same concept, but just... Similar foundation. Yeah. And it's also practiced in many places around the world. So it's it's not as uncommon to hear about Santeria. Okay, so they practice magic in this religion? Yeah. Paulo Mayombe is a Congo-derived religion, which also was transported to the Caribbean during the slave trade. Similar to Santeria, it is also nature-based. Nizami Mapungo is the greatest force in which Paleros or Paleras, who are the Palo practitioners, call God. Nizami Mapungo is literally the first ancestor through which all human life flows. Nizambi is viewed as having created the universe, people, spirits, transformative death, and the power of Minkisi, which are ritualized material objects. Cigars are used to enter a trance in order to connect with the spirits. Special machetes and chains are used in spirit pots. Candles and rum are essential to the ritual. The naganga is an iron cauldron filled with dirt and specialized sticks in order to aid communication with the spirits. There is mention of animal sacrifice to offer food to the ancestors. Hmm, I don't like that. I know, but apparently it's not disputed that that is common in those rituals. As with anything, though, there are people who will take advantage of these practices and use them for their own selfish or cruel desires. Adolfo was one of these people, I believe, so even though there's a lot of controversy surrounding Palomayambe, I do believe that he used this religion for his benefit and to commit the most evil acts. Because when I was looking into him, it just, I've never, as many people as we've covered, I feel like this guy is just truly evil. The most evil? So far, yes. Really? Yes. I feel like he had no sympathy. Worse than Israel Keys. Yes. What? Oh, okay. (laughs) And you'll see why. If you had to come face to face with one of these... Israel Keys or Adolfo, who would you choose? Oh, God, I, I had to choose. And that's those are my only, those options. Are your only options. Yeah, that's a tough one because they're both the worst. But if Adolfo is the worst, would you rather come face to face with Israel Keys? But I hate Israel Keys. <laughs> a strong disdain for him. But I do feel like Adolfo is very evil and manipulative as well. So God, I guess Israel Keys. I would just okay. We'll revisit it at the end of this episode. Let's, let's okay. See, let's see how you feel after. All right. About it. We'll see how you feel about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come face to face with a cult leader way before Israel Keys. Okay. Well, we'll see. I can't be sucked into a cult. I mean, I'm I'm making my own cult. Well, I mean that's true, but 
if you had to be in their presence. I'm too lazy <laughs> to be sucked into I don't a cult. Think, I don't think anyone would ever say you okay. were lazy. Well, no, not in that sense. I'm a hard worker. But as far as like the cult thing, I'm just I'm not committed to those <laughs> type of religious groups. You have to be, though, in order to be a leader of this cult. Well, I am committed to caffeine. Yes. Okay. That's what makes me a good cult leader for this coffee cult. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the acts would include, unfortunately, stealing pets, such as horses, cats, dogs, from their families, where they were traded for money and then subjected to cruel, brutal acts for sacrifice. Dogs and cats were confined in cages and exposed to extreme heat. Oh, my God. Only being able to drink blood from other animals. What? Yeah. It was supposedly a step in preparation for these black magic ceremonies. Horses were mainly sacrificed when a more intense curse was being prepared for, and they were often decapitated. The most extreme rituals would require human bones and skulls, which were obtained through grave robbing or taking a person's life. The remains would be used in a cauldron. As we've talked about, the cauldron is an important part of this process, as worshippers would believe that by placing the blood, bones, and remains, they would be able to summon powerful spirits. So that is like That's what black they magic, say. right? Yes. Or witchcraft or both. Yeah. When you look online, it does say that Paulo Mayambe is considered like evil, but I feel like he used that to make himself look a certain way, okay. you know, and he used it for his advantage. Like intimidation? Yeah. Because you'll see, you know, later on what he starts to do. Okay. In 1972, the family returned to Miami, Florida, and his stepfather would pass away soon after, which left them with some money. His mother would remarry, and his new stepfather would be a man who was involved in drug trade and the occult. Adolfo and his mother would be arrested for multiple crimes, such as shoplifting, theft, and vandalism. He graduated high school and would later drop out of prep school. His mother believed that Adolfo had psychic abilities because he supposedly predicted the attempted assassination of Ronald Reagan in 1981. He became acquainted with a Haitian Palomayambe priest who taught him skills to profit from evil such as dealing drugs and conning people. Which are, you know, would you consider those skills? I guess so. I mean, I guess it's a skill. <laughs> dealing drugs and conning Deal people. Uh, yeah. Those are not the hobbies we promote. We do not promote dealing drugs or conning people. Absolutely not. And shortly after, neighbors began to find small dead animals on their doorsteps. Let's see, my cat would do this, but I mean, most people's cats do this. We had an outdoor cat, Kevin. <laughs> not leaving dead animals on the doorstep. Would, he would leave, yeah, he would leave dead moles or dead mice, dead squirrels. And then he may have been in this cult because he would take off the tails give us the dead squirrel, and then leave the tails all over the front yard. We were standing in the front yard. One of our neighbors was over talking to us. He looks at the ground. He goes, you guys, is that a squirrel tail? And we're like, great. Oh, my God. another one. So Kevin, instead of, like, decapitation, it's severing of the would, tails. He would sever the tails. Yeah. A sick cat, man. Uh, maybe he, he was also he, in Palomayambe. He could have been in Palomayambe. <laughs> Hmm. Making his own little potions. It's my daughter's cat. <laughs> <laughs> As an adult, Adolfo visited Mexico City in 1983 for model work and supported himself as a tarot card reader. So, so he was a model? Yeah, he was yeah. a good-looking person. Definitely. I mean, he was all right. I don't know if he was, like, great. Well, he looks better than Israel Keys, so... 
I no, I would say they're about the same. I don't know about that. <laughs> Show me his picture again. Hold on. No, he's not. Come on. No. I mean, I don't know. I think they're about the same in, on attractiveness. Girl, you, you got to check those better? glasses. No. <laughs> <laughs> they're literally the same as yours. Remember, we got them two for one. <laughs> we're not, maybe we're not seeing the same thing. <laughs> Well, maybe that's a bad picture. It's kind of like an upward angle of his face. It could be. No one looks good from that angle. Nobody does. <laughs> True story. It's like he's got triple chins in that photo. Yeah. So maybe, okay, maybe there's some better pictures. That wasn't his modeling picture, was it? I don't know. It was just the first picture I saw of him. <laughs> I'm just saying. I... All I know is Israel Keys did not have many lovers and was not a uh, charming person. He had that Applebee's lover. Well, we know about Applebee's. <laughs> okay, we'll move on <laughs> from Applebee's. Do you realize Applebee's comes up a lot in our stuff? Does it? Yeah, on the Reddit thing, too. They were talking about <laughs> the people that go to Applebee's after the ghost tours. Something about I mean, Applebee's. If you want to sponsor us, we will think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, we, we don't uh, sponsor Applebee's, but we could. <laughs> also, crumble cookies. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're just putting it out there. <laughs> Let's shoot your shot. That's right. So, like I said, he was <laughs> doing some model work and supported himself as a tarot card reader. He recruited younger men as followers, to name a few, Martin Quitana Rodriguez, Jorge Montes, and Omar Chewy Orea Ochoa. Oh, I love that name. That's a good one. Chewy? Or you can just call him Oh. <laughs> some sources... Wait, it wouldn't be Oh, there's a C in there. Yes. I was like, is it silent? <laughs> it's the silent sea. <laughs> so some sources say these men would be his servants and lovers and were drawn in by his good looks and powerful charisma. They were drawn in by a solid seven? Seriously? Solid seven and ten in charisma. Ten in charisma. Okay. So that would bump him up to like eight, eight and a half? Or maybe nine. Maybe nine? Yeah. Really? I'm telling you. And listen, we talked about potential cult leaders in the last episode, too. And oh, he yeah. was like nowhere. He wasn't even a five. Oh, Birch told? Yeah. No, he had a interesting look. <laughs> <laughs> an interesting it was, look. It was very Idaho 1960s. That's yeah. how you want to put it. That's, I don't think either of us are you know necessarily attracted to that. So I don't think he was high on the cute scale. But I mean, you're right. He did. He drew a lot of people in. Oh, and you have powerful charisma. So you think Aldolfo is cuter than Birchtold? Oh, yes. I would give you that. But that's only because Birchtold just is so basic looking. Well, <laughs> I guess, are we rating them now? We're putting <laughs> I think we should. a new segment, like, on what? <laughs> rate, one to ten? the serial killer or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> child <Right>. molester? <laughs> yeah. Um, Birchtold, just for the fact that he was a child molester and rapist he's a zero in my book yeah put him in the negatives for sure yeah um adolfo i said he's a solid seven okay and you think israel keys is also a seven probably would be a seven do yeah. we need to pull did, did you forget on... what he looked like no i did not forget what he looked like do we need to google him i feel like <laughs> I, could, I will totally google him i think i think you forgot what he looked like he was no yes. i can't forget i can't forget that look <laughs> Okay, let's, let's go off of his mugshot. Okay, there you go. Based on looks alone. Girl, I'd no? put him at a five for sure. A five? Maybe yes. he's a six. Okay, I would say a six. All right, so we now we all agree okay. that Adolfo looks better than 
I'm dropping Adolfo though. Oh, somebody got Israel Keys tattooed, to, and that's now in that tattoo. He's a four. Uh, <laughs> that's a terrible. I, I'd say like a two. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, so yes, I would say Adolfo's a solid seven. Not in that picture though. Another picture, like his modeling pictures, maybe. Okay. Well, strong seven is what Summer says. Israel Keys is a six. I say he's a five. So, <laughs> who would be a four? What's mm, he? Issei. Oh, Issei is a, a two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Futoshi, considering okay. everyone we've done. What about like John Wayne Gacy? He'd be a four. Yeah, a he's on the lower end for sure. Okay. Three. We need to stop talking about attractiveness. Of <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> we despise them all. We do. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know what we're doing. Oh, the serial killer I covered is cuter than yours. <laughs> Let's move on. We digress. So he would use these attributes to his advantage to seduce and recruit other disciples. In 1984, he set up shop in Mexico City permanently. And eventually, he'd become a full-fledged cult leader with drug lords, police officers, and people in the entertainment industry. At least four members of the Federal Judicial Police joined his cult. One of them was Salvador Garcia, who was a commander in charge of narcotics investigations. That's scary. And Florentino Ventura, who was retired from the feds to lead the Mexican branch of Interpol, which is the International Criminal Police Organization. So he clearly has pull in the police department. Yeah, he's got some strong connections now. And drug lords. So I'm thinking... He's got a way to organize this crime. Very connected to the people he needs to be connected to. Yep, he knew. He'd tell his followers that they'd be protected while they committed crimes, as long as he performed rituals that involved animal sacrifice. The prices that he had for these ceremonies would range depending on the animal. $6 for a rooster, to $3,100 for a lion cub. And goats, snakes, zebras, and more were in the middle of that range. One wealthy customer eventually paid $40,000 over a three-year period for protection. He also said that he could see into the future and offer ritual cleansings for those who had been cursed by their enemies. Eventually, he escalated his rituals to include actual human bones, which he would obtain by having his followers raid cemeteries. Eventually, the rituals involving human bones taken from graves didn't seem to cut it. In order to provide more powerful protection to his followers, they needed live human sacrifices. So the protection wasn't working or the curses weren't falling off? I'm thinking it was probably like the bigger he got, the bigger the ritual needed to be to protect all these people is what he was trying to suggest. I don't know if he really believed that, but... He just wanted more money and he just got so deep into it. Yeah, like the bigger it got, the more grandiose it had to be. And in grandiose, I think that's... Murders, probably. Right, as crazy as you can get. Okay. Yeah. So were these feds participating in this murder? Well, they knew about it. I don't know. I think you had to be initiated to even be someone who would be able to partake in the human sacrifice. That's insane. Yeah, so to be at that, you had to be at a certain level in order to do that. The cult was based in Matamoros, Tamaulipas, was on the U.S.-Mexican border. There, they would sell drugs, hold occult ceremonies, and murder people for ritual sacrifice. It is said that the cult was even associated with the Gulf Cartel, which is one of the oldest organized crime groups in the country. And I don't know, like, what you know about Mexican cartels, but they're scary. Yeah, very scary. 
they will torture you and cut off body parts. And it's just very brutal. It's really scary. But he was friends with the cartel, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I guess they were associated with him for the protection. Oh, so the cartel wanted his protection. Yeah. Through those spells, they wanted this protection because they believed in it. I believe in caffeine, the protection of it. Science. I cast a spell every morning when I drink my <laughs> cup of coffee. It's a wonderful spell. It is. It's a spell. It just puts this layer of energy over my whole body. And just makes you happy. Yep. Productive, too. The money that he was getting from wealthy clients would afford him a new condo with multiple luxury cars. Now, when he wasn't working on magic rituals, he would continue to con people once posing as a DEA agent to rip off a drug dealer in Guadalajara. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> are you in like, shock? Wow. I'm like, wow. It's like, well, this is what I do on the side. <laughs> yeah. So he's a cult leader. And then on the side, he's pretending to be a DEA agent and ripping off drug dealers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. That is quite the scam. He does it big. <laughs> <laughs> go big or go home, Adolfo says. That's right. And then selling the stash through his police contacts for just a small $100,000. Oh, that's all. Just a little bit. Yes. Okay. <laughs> One of Adolfo's biggest and most important clients was the Calzada family, the leaders of the biggest cartel. He did his usual practice of performing the rituals for protection. And as time went on, the Calzada family began to get more and more powerful. Adolfo believed it was thanks to him because, of course, it was, mm -hmm. and demanded that they pay him for his work. However, when they refused to compensate him, Guillermo Calzada and six other family members disappeared on April 30th, 1987. They were purported missing on May 1st, with police noting strange evidence of a religious ceremony, along with melted candles in the Calzada's office. Oh, did he murder them? TBD. Okay. The Mexican police later found the bodies of the missing Calzada family members in the Zumpango River, but their corpses were badly mutilated with sadistic marks of torture. Adolfo had taken body parts, including fingers, toes, ears, hearts, brains, spines, and testicles, and used them in a ritual to make himself stronger. What? So not only did he murder them, he took their body parts. He tortured them, took their body parts. And use the body parts for a ritual to make himself stronger? Yeah. Okay. So it makes, you, it makes you believe that at least he believed in what he was doing, like these ceremonies, because he thought that this was making him stronger. Was it? I think in his mind, yes. I mean, he was growing with people and money and building his own empire. Because they were all scared they were going to get murdered. And I guess they didn't realize how far he would go. Yeah. So it's not clear when Adolfo began to offer the human sacrifices, but there are 23 well-documented murders. Mexican authorities speculate that those numbers are only the tip of the iceberg. His ability to easily torture and kill not only strangers, but his close friends would impress ruthless drug lords involved in the crime syndicate. In July of 1987, Adolfo became acquainted with the Hernandez family, which was another drug-running family and was led by brothers Elio and Ovidio. Towards the end of the month, he met Sarah Aldrete, who was a 22-year-old college student. Sarah was born in Matamoros, Mexico, and attended high school in Brownsville, Texas. She lived south of the border and gained resident status so she could attend Texas Southmost College through a work-study program. 
She was known to be a good student and was preparing to transfer to a university so she could earn a teaching certification in physical education. She also had two part-time jobs as an aerobics teacher and assistant secretary in the school's athletic department. So it sounds like you with all of your jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Jennifer. I'm like, this is summer right here. (laughs) I may have one more job than her, but that's about it. Well, well, she was going to school, too, so I'm not going to school right now. No, but you have a son who goes to school, so I guess <laughs> yeah, that's a job. That is a job. Anyone <laughs> with a teenager, you know, that's a job. Exactly. Mm-hmm. When she met Aldolfo, he noted to her that she had the same birthday as his mother's. And I guess that was like a big deal to him. So did he see it as a sign or something? I'm sure everything was like a sign. Yeah. You know, well, he probably predicted this, right? It possibly. Yes. I mean, he could see into the future. <laughs> She was dating Gerberta Sosa, who was a drug smuggler for the Hernandez family, but would soon be charmed by Adolfo, and they would end up hooking up. Adolfo called Gilberto anonymously to inform him of the cheating, which broke up their relationship. Sarah returned to Adolfo, and he would tell her that he saw their breakup coming from his tarot cards. Of course he did. (laughs) I foresaw this. And the call he made to her boyfriend. (laughs) Same difference. No big deal. (laughs) Yeah, that had nothing to do with it. No, no. (laughs) After this, she would end up getting sucked into his world of black magic, torture, and murder. Torture? She helped him torture people? If she didn't help him, she definitely was an accomplice or or was a witness. Oh, no. She was on such a good path, too. She was. But, you know, there were feds in this cult, so they were supposedly good as well. Eventually, she became what they would end up calling La Madrina, godmother of the cult. Aldolfo was already referred to as El Padrino by his followers or otherwise known as the godfather. After they slept together, Aldolfo told Sarah that he preferred men, and even though she was disappointed, she stayed because she was fascinated by the religious aspect of their relationship. So he slept with her, broke up her relationship, and then he's like, well, but I like guys better. Yeah. It said that he was bisexual, but he preferred men. Okay. So he was like, sorry, Sarah. But she ended up getting high in the ranks very soon. Well, yeah. Isn't she the godmother of the cult? Yes. That's pretty high. But later... You're the godmother of our cult. Are you the godfather? I'd be La Padrino. (laughs) (laughs) La Padrino? Or is it La Padrina? I could be La Padrina. Okay. Now, she became the cult's main recruiter. She used her looks and charm to lure in men to either join or be abducted and killed. She would show them the 1987 thriller The Believers, which was a movie based on a cult in New York that practiced human sacrifice for money and influence. And of course, that's going to be the first thing you do is, let me show you this movie that was filmed by Hollywood. Um, is that how you could join this cult? <laughs> so they, they had a movie they could play for people about yes. their cult. Yes. This is the tutorial, the introduction to our cult. <laughs> so what would our movie be if we need a movie? I don't know if there's an introduction movie that would be appropriate for our cult. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Let's play Top Gun for them, the new one. No, because... Why? You drink coffee and then you have all this high-speed energy. It'd be perfect. But we we don't promote Tom Cruise oh, because of Scientology. That's true. Remember. Well, we just won't play the parts with him in it. Isn't that the main part? No, there's a lot of other people in the new one. We'll uh, think about this. So they'd have to watch it over and over to brainwash them to see the necessity of this practice. She would still attend school during this time, and her teachers and fellow students recalled her as a friendly and studious person who showed no signs of being in a cult. 
So imagine doing this in your personal life and then just going to school and nobody thinks anything different. I mean, you could be doing this now. I wouldn't know, would I? Well, we're in the same cult, so you would most likely know <laughs> there's a ceremony happening. But what if you're having ceremonies and you're living this normal life? You know, you're co-hosting a podcast, you work a full-time job, you're buying houses and moving in and making it look very normal. I mean, normal people join cults all the time. Yeah. I'm going to keep my eyes on you. I got to keep you out of these weird cults. I'm already in one. <laughs> Ours is not weird, though. <laughs> we just drink coffee. <laughs> And give our members names. We're really highlighting our cult in this episode. <laughs> we got to promote it. We do. Reach out to us for your coffee cult name if you want to join. The Hernandez family was hungry for more power and also threatened by other competitors in the area. Adolfo convinced Elio that he could solve all his problems through black magic rituals. He said that enemies could be eliminated this way and then used as sacrifice and rituals for protection. So basically, two birds, one stone eliminate your enemies, sacrifice them in the ritual. Create You'll, more protection. Yeah. They probably heard that and they were like, hell yeah. So he's about efficiency. I'm on board. <laughs> Not you personally. No, no, no. <laughs> I think Elio heard that and was like, I'm on board. Elio's on board. Yeah. He's like, this sounds like an efficient cult. If they promised to be faithful to Aldolfo, he promised that they would become invisible and bulletproof to authorities because that's how that works. In return. <laughs> in The Incredibles, it did work like that. <laughs> in, in, the, in the fiction movie? In the fiction movie, it worked like that. But not in real life. In return, he asked for, you know, just half of their profits and control of their family. That's all. That's a small price to pay. Not too much. Try and have control over my family. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> he later moved his headquarters to Rancho Santa Elena, about 20 miles from Matamoros. On May 28, 1988, Adolfo shot Hector de la Fuente, a drug dealer, and local farmer Moises Castillo. But these sacrifices weren't enough for him. On July 16th, he supervised the torture and dismemberment of Raul Paz Esquivel, who was the former lover of one of his members, Jorge Montes. They dumped the remains on the street, which were found by children who screamed for the police. Aww. That's lovely. Right. Imagine oh. being a kid seeing that scene. Oh, my gosh. Like, what's this leg doing over here? And, you know, what's all that blood? Oh. The demons that he worshipped were more likely to be pleased with a sacrifice that was taken in agony. Every victim, Adolfo would sodomize and told his followers that they needed to die screaming. So that's why I think this guy is more evil than Israel Keys, because he wanted them all to suffer. Well, now Israel Keys made his victims suffer too. But I think this guy did extended torture. Yes. So because he felt like the worse it was, the better for him, you know? So of course he's going to resort to the most extreme, the most painful. And the recorded murders that they do have, they speculate that there's way more, you know, than what they even know about. Exactly. In August 1988, Ovidio Hernandez and his two sons were kidnapped by rival narcotics dealers after a deal gone wrong. Aldolfo performed another ritual sacrifice at Rancho Santa Elena, and the hostages were released unharmed the next day. Aldolfo took full credit for their return and would not notice when his disciple Florentino Ventura murdered his family, then committed suicide on September 17th. And this was one of the feds. Murdered a family and then committed and, suicide? Mm-hmm. Uh, he probably realized he, he might have been in too deep. Yep. I don't know like what 
mentally was going on with him, but I feel like this would definitely take a toll. Absolutely. In November 1988, he sacrificed another one of his followers, Jorge Gomez, because he was accused of snorting cocaine while Adolfo banned the use of drugs. So we can sell them, but we can't partake in them. Yes, and you know why. Why? Because it all comes down to the money. Like, you can't use it because we need to sell it. we need to sell it. Okay, so he's got that business mind. Yep. (laughs) And if you disobey... You die and become part of a ritual. Sounds like a terrible person to be around. Oh, yes. But no matter... These are how these cult leaders are. No matter how terrible they are, somehow they have this following of, like, devoted followers. So the draw for him was that, well, he was attractive, so people were drawn to that and his charisma and then the protection, right? Yes. Because none of this sounds appealing. Right. So and then what I guess was the draw? When you see someone who is capable of killing people ruthlessly, you, that he's killing members, he's killing rival drug lords, like, are so you fear? going to go against someone like this? Or are you going to, like, just, you know, relish in the power that this cult has? So there could have been, like, people who were scared, and there also could have been people who were just, like... Drawn to his power this that is, he had. This is power, yeah. I mean, these are also mm-hmm. drug lords who were in this cult, and they were, like, we're powerful people, and people are scared of us, and we like it that way. Maybe. A month later, the ties between Aldolfo and the Hernandez family was solidified with the initiation of Ovidio Hernandez becoming a full-fledged cultist through a blood ritual. More sacrifices would take place in the coming months to include competing drug dealers Ezequiel Luna, Ruben Garza, and Ernesto Diaz. One time, Adolfo demanded a sacrifice suddenly, and on February 25, 1989, Ovidio offered his own cousin, Jose Garcia. Some sources say that he was kidnapped in error, but I couldn't find anything to elaborate like on how someone is kidnapped in error. <laughs> Like, if that was Oops, true. Oops, we accidentally put you in the trunk of our car. And sacrificed you. It was an error? What does that mean? Yeah, I don't know. Like, they weren't supposed to kidnap people that day? Or they got the wrong person? Okay, they kidnapped him when they meant to kidnap somebody else. Yeah, but I couldn't find anything to back that up. Adolfo had 800 kilos of marijuana stolen from another gang, which he planned on shipping to Rio Grande in order to ensure safe shipment. He needed to perform another ritual. On March 13th, 1989, he sacrificed another person who has not been identified. However, their screaming was not sufficient for him. They weren't responding in enough pain pain and agony, so he did what? Well, I will tell you what he did. (laughs) So he told his followers to find someone who will scream, and they did as they were told and found a young man outside of a Matamoros bar and took him back to the ranch. And we're going to be able to give more information about this because this is actually what led to him being caught. This person's murder. Yeah. So the kidnapped victim was 21-year-old Mark Kilroy. He was a U.S. citizen and was visiting Mexico during spring break. Mark was born on March 5th, 1968 in Chicago, Illinois. His parents were James Kilroy, a chemical engineer, and Helen Kilroy, a paramedic, and moved to Santa Fe, Texas after their son was born. He was raised Catholic, excelled in academics, and played an assortment of sports in school and with his friends. He was in Boy Scouts of America, was an honor student involved with the student council, and was ranked 14th in his class. He attended Tarleton State University on a basketball scholarship, 
but then decided to give up athletics and transfer to the University of Texas at Austin to become a pre-med student and prepare for his MCAT, which is the medical college admission test, because he wanted to become a doctor. The morning after Mark's disappearance, his friends were alarmed that they didn't know where he was. They assumed that he possibly left for the hotel with someone else, but since they didn't see him the next day, they reported him as missing to the police. The investigation started pretty routine since Mark was the 60th person to be reported as missing in the last three months. Usually, most of the people would turn up within days with a hangover or a fuzzy memory of what happened. However, Mark's uncle, Ken Kilroy, worked in the U.S. Customs Service in Los Angeles. When his uncle got the news, a police force was arranged in Brownsville, thinking that he may have tried to go back to their car near where the border was, where they parked their car. When the Mexican authorities got word of the bad publicity about Mark's disappearance and the possible effect it could have on tourism, they first tried to suggest that maybe he disappeared in Brownsville, Texas. His friends insisted that that was not the case. Mexico and U.S. authorities would begin to work together to question informants, witnesses, and look for tips. Authorities suspected that his disappearance involved foul play and that he may have been a victim of drug-related violence or of a robbery which led to murder. Texan officials contacted the U.S. consulate in Matamoros and asked the investigators to conduct a search of Mark's description in Matamoros jails and hospitals. They also hired a hypnotist to see if they could find any more clues. So they hypnotized Bradley Moore, one of Mark's friends, that was on the trip with him, and he recalled seeing a young Hispanic man wearing a blue plaid shirt with a scar on his face approaching Mark the night he vanished. He said that the man walked up to him and said, hey, don't I know you from somewhere? But wasn't sure if he responded back. None of his friends were able to remember the exact location where he disappeared. This led the investigators to deduce that he was kidnapped for robbery or ransom. At this point, they believed it was most likely kidnapping since there was no demand for money. They believed his body to be dumped in a remote location and had helicopters and vehicles dispatched from Border Patrol and called to look on the Rio Grande River, but his body was not located. So during the investigation, Mark's parents headed to the area to circulate handouts and offered a $15,000 reward to anyone who could help find their son. Governments from both Mexico and the U.S. were involved in the search, and people from his hometown came down to help hand out flyers. On March 26th, the case was highlighted on America's Most Wanted and gave the case nationwide attention. This led to calls and letters from all over the country, but none of these substantiated any solid leads. Unfortunately, his parents returned home a few days later and withdrew their son from school. They can sad. It is. I can't even imagine like the the sadness that their family was feeling this time. You know, they think he's they, just they going on vacation, and, and they didn't, still don't know what happened to him at this point, right? No, they just think he's missing. They continued their efforts to fundraise money through garage sales and car washes to bring awareness to Mark's case and continue their search. So they're working really hard. Like yeah. these parents were doing everything they could. On April 1st, 1989, the Mexican authorities saw a vehicle run a drug interdiction checkpoint without stopping. It crossed the border from Texas and sped through the Mexican Federal Highway 2. Police decided to follow this vehicle using an unmarked car to the Santa Elena Ranch. They stopped and observed at a distance, and then 30 minutes later, the driver headed back towards the city. The police took this chance to search the ranch where they found cult paraphernalia and traces of drugs. 
They discovered that the driver of the vehicle was Serafin Hernandez-Garcia, who was the nephew of a local drug lord based in that area, and was speeding, thinking that he was invisible to the authorities. They continued to follow him and gather more evidence about this ranch and the crimes that were happening there. On April 9th, they returned with several more police officers and arrested Serafin, Elio Hernandez, David Valdez, Sergio Salinas, who were all associated with Adolfo's cult. They also arrested the ranch's caretaker, Domingo Reyes Bustamante. The cult members were all calm and relaxed when they were in custody, but when the ranch caretaker was interrogated, he identified Mark Kilroy and said that he saw him at the ranch. Serafin confessed that many people, including Mark, were killed there. He said they were ordered by Adolfo to kill the victims for human sacrifice. Okay, so this is the caretaker. The ranch, the ranch caretaker, yeah. He's so, probably scared because he just told them everything. So he's either going to die or he needs to find another job. Or he may be in prison for, you know, being associated with this. Would he, though? Was he an accomplice? I think he knew what was going on and maybe, you know. Well, they probably need him as a witness. He probably made a deal. Or he's dead. Well, let's see. <laughs> Regarding Mark's murder, Adolfo told his people to look for a white man to sacrifice. So Serafin and the other members mingled in town during spring break looking for a potential victim. They lured Mark to their truck. The men grabbed him and wrestled him into their truck. One of the men stopped to take a breath, and Mark found that moment to break free and run. However, he was stopped by another vehicle who held him at gunpoint, subdued him, handcuffed him, and put him in the back of the car. At the ranch, they left Mark in the car overnight. Then at dawn, they fed him bread and eggs and water. Approximately 12 hours after they kidnapped him, they wrapped his face and mouth with duct tape and walked him through a field to a storage cabin with his hands tied behind his back. He was tortured and sodomized for hours before being led to a field and killed by chopping his back and neck with a machete. He then had his brain removed and boiled in a pot. His legs were chopped off above the knees and a wire was inserted in his spinal column so that once his body was decomposed, the bones could easily be pulled from the soil. The members dug a hole for his remains, and his corpse was buried. Seraphin agreed to take the police to the spot where Mark was buried, which were marked by the wire that protruded from the ground. He elaborated to police that the cult members would wear the bones as a necklace to ward off danger. So that's why they put that wire in his spine. On April 11th, the police took the suspects to the ranch and forced them to dig for hours at gunpoint. Once they found his body and saw that his legs were missing, Serafin explained that it was simply the burial process. At the end of the excavation, 15 mutilated bodies were uncovered, all males who had been killed over a nine-month period. Mark's body was identified after the Brownsville police matched his dental records with the teeth they found at the scene. Investigators concluded that most of the victims were rival drug dealers and not random abductees. However, three of the bodies were not able to be identified. Authorities seized 243 pounds of marijuana, 108 grams of cocaine, 12 firearms, including three submachine guns, and 11 vehicles with telephones. Inside, there was an iron pot with remains of a human brain, a goat head, chicken feet, a turtle, herbs, a horseshoe, and coins mixed with animal blood. And they would just do this for the rituals? To offer it to the spirits. Oh, oh. God, the spirit thinks that's delicious. Maybe it is to eat, but I think it's more of like the act of the sacrifice. 
months is something I just don't understand. It's a lot. It is a lot. It's a lot to process. Yeah. On April 12th, the inmates were taken to the headquarters of the Federal Mexican Judicial Police in Matamoros for a press conference. 250 international journalists showed up to take photos and ask questions. Elio Hernandez stated that he was an ordained executioner under Adolfo, and he showed his membership scar on his shoulder, back, arms, and chest. They were arrow-like cuts made with a hot blade and given to selected cult members who had the authority to perform human sacrifice. He stated that Adolfo murdered Mark himself. The next day, family and friends attended the memorial service for Mark Kilroy at Our Lady of Lourdes Catholic Church in Santa Fe. Tons of locals attended while about 150 children pinned yellow ribbons on the trees outside the church in memory of Mark. His parents showed deep conviction and faith when speaking to the press. They stated that they were not upset with his killers and hoped that when they die, they go to heaven and see their son and apologize to him. His mom told others to pray for his killers. Now. I don't think I could be that forgiving. I don't think so either. I don't I, think so. They must be very faithful people in order to like have that kind of conviction because i would wish nothing but the worst on those people like you can go to hell yeah (laughs) if there's a hell i hope you're in there exactly yeah why would i want to go to heaven with people like this i'm sorry i don't get it well you know that's if heaven's real so if it's real i wouldn't want to be around a bunch of serial killers yeah apparently a lot of them were involved in church so they're going there ask for forgiveness and they all get to go up there yeah keep me in limbo (laughs) i'll be a ghost and just like wander around that middle ground maybe that's why there's so many ghosts they're like oh up there with who no i'm good (laughs) i know good right here yeah yeah (laughs) i'll stay right here (laughs) yep 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 (laughs) on april 15th his parents met with president george bush and william bennett who headed the office of national drug control policy they told the politicians that for every drug consumer there is a victim who suffers from their addiction that drug consumption should be treated with better education, and that the use of drugs even casually causes suffering. Bush describes the case as very sensitive, and Bennett stated that Kilroy's murder was mourned nationwide, but that the parents were able to turn their suffering into a very good effort. Afterwards, the parents stated that even though Bush and Bennett were not specific on the actions their administration would take to fight drugs, and enforce it at a local, state, and federal level, they were satisfied that the government was looking into the right decision. They praised the efforts of the government in asking citizens what could be done to improve their country. Mark's father concluded that the change required the government to do its part, but that it also required every citizen of the country to put in their effort to make it happen. They're doing a great job, you know, trying to make the best out of what is a really horrific situation. Yeah. I guess it's helpful to channel like all that sorrow into something that's going to be good. Yeah. If that was me, I I don't even have kids, but I can't imagine like having the energy, the emotional energy to go forth and try to put those things in place. Yeah. It's great that they did. Yeah. Two weeks after the discovery of the bodies on the ranch, the Mexican federal police returned to burn it down and lay a wooden cross above the ashes. They also took a native shaman to the property to purify the ranch before burning it. The Mexican government didn't explain why they did this, but it suspected that the motive was supernatural in nature. They said that they knew the ranch meant a lot to Adolfo, 
and destroying it would make him go insane. And apparently, the next day, Aldolfo did go into a rage after seeing it on national TV. Aww. So whether it made him go insane, I don't know if that's true. But Probably made I'm him sure mad. that was a hit to his ego. Absolutely. For sure. Because yeah. he had a huge one. Mm-hmm. Back in Matamoros, authorities searched Sarah's house, where they found an altar, religious pictures, and the interior wall was covered in blood. In Cameron County, Texas, the sheriff's office released a wanted poster of Aldolfo and Sarah, which stated they were extremely dangerous. Both were indicted with aggravated kidnapping. Additionally, they and 11 other cult members were indicted for several charges of drug trafficking. On April 17th, police raided Aldolfo's luxury home outside of Mexico. They discovered stockpiles of gay pornography and a hidden ritual chamber. The discovery of the crimes that happened at the ranch were now making international news. He was thought to be on the run, since there were reports that he was spotted in Chicago. But he was actually hiding out in a small apartment with Sarah Aldrete and three other followers in Mexico City. The Mexico City authorities pieced together that the killings in Matamoros were eerily similar to the murders carried out in Mexico City between 1987 to 1989. They spoke to local practitioners and suspected that he may be hiding in Cuauhtémoc. Police sent 16 officers to search the area. They noticed a man purchasing an unusually large amount of groceries with U.S. dollars, and they followed him to an apartment on Rio Sena. By the end of the week, it was determined that he was buying them for Adolfo. On May 6, 1989, police surrounded the apartment ready to raid it. Adolfo noticed police from his window and opened fire at them with a machine gun. He threw coins and money out of his window and also burned money on the stove. After running out of ammo, he panicked and ordered one of his followers, Deleon Valdez, to kill him and Quintina Rodriguez. Deleon hesitated at first, but Aldolfo smacked him in the face and told him he'd suffer in hell if he didn't do it. So the two hugged and Deleon stood in front of them and opened fire while they stood in a closet. When the police got there, the apartment was filled with smoke. Sarah headed to the door screaming that Aldolfo was dead. Deleon told the cops that Aldolfo had lost his mind towards the end, yelling that all was lost and no one is going to have my money. Both said that Aldolfo had committed most of the murders himself. Sarah denied any knowledge of the murders until she saw them on national TV. She also said that she was not an official member of the cult. La Madrina, hold on. Listen, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, she is lying. I think she's lying, personally. I think so, yeah. But we'll see. We'll hear, we'll hear more. You don't become the mother of a cult and then you're like, oh, I didn't know that happened. And, yeah, exactly. And not <laughs> know about what's going on. I had no clue. And then showing them, what did you think? That you were just having movie night? And <laughs> yeah, right. With all these different people? Uh-huh. Okay. Sure, nice Sarah. Sarah. She also said that she was not an official member of the cult by barely going through an initiation and that she was sorry for Mark's murder. Now she's sorry. Okay, yeah. Sure. Yeah. When you're about to get caught, you're always sorry. Of course. She told police that she was held prisoner by Aldolfo and that she was not in love with him. She was just a follower. At the scene, they arrested Sarah, Deleon, and several other cult members for homicide, criminal association, wounding an officer, and criminal damage to property. They did fear that Aldolfo faked his own death, but a fingerprint analysis was done and determined that that was his body. The remaining inmates were denied bail since their crimes totaled over 50 years in prison. Wow. On August 27th, 1989, Orea Ochoa 
was admitted to a hospital after being diagnosed with AIDS. He died on February 11, 1990. On June 2, 1989, Salvador Vidal Garcia Larcion, a police chief of the Federal Justice Police, was indicted for drug trafficking. He acted as the group's contact in the police. He defended his stance and stated that his involvement with Constanzo was solely religious. He said that he was possessed with spirits at a young age and sought him for help. He was not charged for any of the murders that took place. In August of 1990, Deleon Valdez was sentenced to 30 years for the murder of Adolfo and Catana Rodriguez. Reyes Bustamante, the ranch caretaker, was accused of covering up the crimes on the ranch. He was released from prison on December 11, 1990, after paying a $500 bond. So, he didn't serve that much time. He didn't, no. On May 3, 1994, Sarah Aldrede was sentenced to 62 years in prison. Elio, Serafin, Martinez Salinas, and Serna Valdez were sentenced to 67 years in prison. Their charges included multiple homicides, possession of narcotics, organized crime, police impersonation, illegal body desecration, and possession of illegal firearms. The judge explained that the reason why Sarah had received fewer years in prison was because she was not charged with using any weapons. He stated that the maximum conviction a person can receive for capital murder is 50 years. So similar to Brazil, I think. Okay. It's like 30 years is the max, right? That was it. Yeah. Mexico's judicial system does not have parole, so it does allow prisoners to file motions at an appeal court to reduce sentences after several years. On March 27, 1998, a Mexican federal court reduced the sentences of Elio, Serna Valdez, and Martinez Salinas by 17 years, lowering their sentences to 50 years. The death penalty and life sentences are not part of the judicial system either, so reductions for charges that are over 50 years are common. Additionally, individuals like cult members who are charged with murder and other serious crimes that push the total prison time above 50 years for capital murder often have their sentences reduced by an appeal court. If the individuals were first-time offenders, it's also seen as reasonable to reduce their sentences. In 2003, Sarah spoke to the press and once again denied her participation in any of the cult killings. She said it was impossible for anyone to understand the case because the key part, who was Aldolfo, was dead. And she said that police hid the names of famous people involved in the cult for their own convenience and that she was tortured to confess. She said that she was stripped naked, blindfolded, beaten upside down, and had her toenails pulled out. She said that she was beaten and raped so badly that doctors said she'd never be able to have kids. She also states that Aldolfo was executed by the police when they raided the apartment instead of being killed by Deleon. Do you believe her? Um, it's hard for me to believe her. If you're second in command in a cult, yeah, you just don't know about anything that's going on. And she said, I didn't know I was La Madrina. Yeah. So it's hard to believe that what she's saying is true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that she knew... She was in too deep, and she's just saying what she can to maybe get out of it. But I don't know if anyone will believe that. If she is telling the truth, that's going to be tough for anyone to believe. Some of the remaining former members have continued to claim their innocence, saying they were forced to confess. Just seems like a strange, like, similar story for everyone. Like, all of you didn't know, and you were all forced to do this? I just don't know. We had no idea. 
interesting narrative We here. thought we were joining a coffee cult. <laughs> this is not an innocent <laughs> coffee cult. No. Two months after Mark's confirmed death, his parents founded the Mark Kilroy Foundation, which promotes drug awareness, education, and prevention through the Just Say No campaign. Being that Mark wanted to become a doctor, his parents decided to continue his legacy through the foundation. Since 1994, they partnered with Substance Abuse Free Environment, or SAFE, which is a nonprofit that promotes awareness of drug abuse and prevention. Both of them partner with the Santa Fe local government, its schools, ones nearby, and with businesses and private donors to provide programs for the entire year. The counselors visit school campuses during the school year in Santa Fe and Hitchcock to hold programs for around 800 students regularly. When students are gone for the summer, the foundation conducts programs in the summer camps by partnering with volunteers. They offer free outdoor activities like archery, golf, fishing, tennis, and swimming. They average about 550 kids each summer. In September 1999, the foundation signed an agreement with the U.S. federal government to receive 10 yearly grants of $100,000. By the 10th year, the government intended to stop the funding and expect the foundation to be self-supporting. However, his parents stated that the yearly expenses exceeded $160,000. It now received proceeds from local bingo organizations and from the sales of the book Sacrifice, written by Mark's father and Bob Stewart in 1990. So did they do all this as far as promoting awareness about drugs because they thought Mark was going to buy drugs from these guys and that's why he was kidnapped? I think it was more so of because of what Aldolfo was involved with, maybe, like the organized drug crime that was happening. Um, I don't know how soon they realized it was because of a drug running cult. I don't think they assumed that he was going to buy drugs. They yeah. put their energy into drug awareness. That's really amazing. I think that's the reason they did that. The media set the narrative that the cult and the religious practices were satanic. When the coverage and allegations of Adolfo's fascination with Satanism died down, several Afro-Cuban scholars stated that his actions were fueled by his own greed and psychopathic involvement with Paolo Mayambe. They argued that he used Paolo Mayambe for his own financial, sexual, and psychological needs by convincing his cult members to help with his drug trafficking operations. Through human sacrifice, Adolfo promised his members that they were protected from the law, but others allege that he committed these murders because of his own distorted view on the religion. So what do you think, now that you've heard everything... <laughs> Oh, it was convenient to use the religious teachings and twist them to benefit his selfish wants and desires. Absolutely. Yeah, I think so, too. Even though, you know, there's a, a lot of controversy about the religion, I think that he definitely was just one of those people who were like, well, shoot, let me just uh, go ahead take and this part of it and this part. I mean, we see that in a lot of different religions. People can take whatever part they want from a religion. And yeah make it... Um, Twist just, it to their narrative. Exactly. So I think that's what he did. So I really think he was just... He had no sympathy. He had no empathy. He didn't care. It was all about the money. So it was scary how ruthless he is and, you know, that we don't even know the true number of the his... people, his victims. Yeah. yeah. But this was a very interesting case. I really liked learning about the different religions and the supernatural side of things. Yeah, because this one had a serial killer cult 
and then have that supernatural side a bit. Yeah. yeah. Missing aliens, but, you know, that's fine. We'll get back to your aliens. Yes, we will. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hone in on a good one. <laughs> what do we have next? Oh, next I'm going to do Henry Louis Wallace, the Taco Bell killer. He sounds like um, one of those British kings or something. He was not a British king, though. <laughs> Henry <laughs> but Lewis he, Wallace he does have the Yeah, he does have that, that name, the Henry and the Lewis. <laughs> and the Wallace. <laughs> I don't know if Wallace is a British name, <laughs> but Henry and Lewis definitely sound like it could be from Great Britain. But no, Henry Lewis Wallace, the Taco Bell killer. The Taco Bell Killer. Uh, Yeah, dubbed the Taco Bell Killer. Wow. Well, you know, unless it was like killing intestines or like buttholes, you know, like (laughs) killing buttholes. What? By eating all those tacos. Taco Bell is known for that. I don't know if if you eat tacos. Killing buttholes? Oh, for sure. (laughs) Yes. Have you ever eaten Taco Bell and then immediately need to run to the bathroom? No. I had to eat Taco Bell a lot when I first was out of the house. And it never gave you just have strong stomachs, huh? Do I? I don't know. (laughs) It just takes whatever I give it. Possibly. Because I think that is not that is different <laughs> to be because... okay well i haven't eaten at taco bell lately let me just say that i don't know that i could handle it now all right well Mexican before we time. before we record next episode Are we gonna i need have you to taco bell we no i've had taco bell i need you <laughs> to have taco bell i haven't had taco bell since i've been like i want to say i was 17 18 so it's been some time because I mean, taco bell is one of the few places where you're a struggling young person out on your own and <laughs> Where else can you get something for like 59 cents? You know, you drive up to Taco Bell, you get all the change in your car and you didn't even care that you were handing them pennies and nickels and dimes. It just, true. it was acceptable. I mean, McDonald's is there too. You may have the same result. Maybe, but Taco Bell was cheaper. Remember they had what, 59, 79, 99 cent stuff. I mean, I couldn't handle the 99 cent stuff. That was too expensive <laughs> too at the much. time. So 59 cent, there we go. Me and my roommate, we would drive up there and... <laughs> Her and I would be digging around in the car looking for change. <laughs> okay. Well, for research purposes, you think I'm going to have Taco Bell before you before we record next episode? Yes. Well, the Mexican pizza is back, so I'm up for it. Okay. We'll report back. Jennifer's getting very me- <laughs> medical in the next episode. <laughs> we need to know because we'll see it's, if it's I have like iron intestines. Fact. It's right. a fact. I'm telling you. So Jennifer's not going to try it out. No. <laughs> I already know. <laughs> Take one for the team. Yes, you you will. (laughs) Okay, well, we should tell people to follow us on Instagram. And TikTok. Yes, at Freshly Brewed Noir. Facebook, also at Freshly Brewed Noir. Yes, you can send us an email if you want to suggest an episode. Yeah, any topics you would like to hear. At freshlybrewednoir at gmail.com. And just keep giving us those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I think now you can rate us on Spotify. Yes. And we have to thank The Swerve Podcast for giving us a shout out. They did. Yes, we started listening to The Swerve Podcast. They have a similar format to ours, except it's two guys and they make a drink every podcast and talk about a bunch of different topics and very um, supernatural like conspiracy type stuff it's very cool yeah we started listening to them and they're very interesting so check them out show them some love yes they showed us some love so we appreciate them we're spreading the love we are like 
Good little bees. <laughs> Spreading the pollen. <laughs> Making honey. <laughs> there you go. Love us some honey. Well, until next time. Stay caffeinated. Get hobbies. And don't murder people. Mm -mm. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>